This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and I'm joined by Laura from AJ Bell. Hi there. So this week we're going to look into how airlines are faring in the travel lockdown how you can get a refund for your cancelled holiday, how one investor is doing their bit to help solve social problems, and finally, whether you need to reconsider your health and life insurance during COVID-19. So before we get on to all of those topics, Dan, do you want to give us a quick 60 seconds on what's happened in the markets in the past week? Any big things? Well, I mean, in terms of the major stock market indices, they've not really done too much. Um, there's kind of two things going on. Oh, sort of on one hand, you've got lockdown restrictions being lifted, which gives some sort of positivity. But on the other hand, you've got Trump still seemingly wanting to um, fight with China. And, uh, and there's growing concerns. You know, could we get another second wave of uh, virus uh, and those sort of fears in the market again? But um, sort of on the company specific stuff, there's Vodafone has said it's going to keep paying dividends, which is great relief to lots of shareholders because people tend to hold those shares for income. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side, we've had BT saying it's not going to pay any dividends for at least a year and a half. And when it does restart, there'll be half the level as what it's been paying recently. So um, again, it's sort of a good good and bad story going on with the dividends there. Um, and just really, on so UK GDP figures um, for March, they were pretty horrible, but not as bad as everyone was fearing. And... Um, Perhaps the you know on a sort of smaller company basis, Halfords um, is a, is perhaps a story that stands out from the crowd, where its shares are up fifty percent in a week. I think that's probably caused wow. by yeah, probably caused by Boris Johnson's um, speech saying that you know if you if you if you can't work from home, get back to work, but don't use public transport. Try and cycle or, or go by car. Of course, you no know, Halfords is one of the country's biggest bike sellers and also it's it sells lots of parts and stuff that you need for your car so a bit of a double whammy for that for that company there but generally that's that that's probably summarizing exactly what's going on in the markets at the moment so and so we also had a question from one of our listeners called Indapal about the airline sector. So obviously the sector's been hit pretty hard with travel shutting down globally and it looks like um, this summer holiday season might be cancelled, much to my annoyance. Yeah, but, and mine. Um, but Indapal wanted to know how investors currently view the sector. So Dan, you've been looking at all of the figures because it's not fair to say that the entire airline sector is as one. There's lots of different companies with different debt levels and, and kind of different prospects in there, isn't there? It's true. I mean, if, if you look at the UK stock market, um, Wizz Air has been, in relative terms, doing quite well relative to you know, some of the other ones. But actually, they're all pretty, they all are you know, struggling quite a lot. And if you go onto the US stock market, there's an exchange-traded fund called US Global Jets. Now, this tracks the performance of airline operators and manufacturers around the world. So it's quite a good way to sort of gauge what investors are thinking about sort of the broader airline sector. Now, it's lost 60% of its value this year. Which wow. was yeah, so that that tells you everything you need to know. Investors are very, very worried 
about the future for this industry. So one of the world's most famous investors is Warren Buffett. Now, he sold all his airline shares fairly recently, um, again, giving you some sort of indication that if, if one of the, sort of the, the world's uh, most highly respected investors is, is doing something, then you, you perhaps should stand up and, and take notice. Um, so Boeing's uh, CEO has just put out a warning. He thinks there could be a major airline um, going bankrupt in September when in, in the US when US payroll support program ends which again is not a very nice sort of thing so um it is it's it's pretty nasty out there um and i guess if anyone's listening and you know you you booked up a summer holiday um you know it's like like look laura and i both in the same situation we want to go away but um we're just being told that we can't we can't do anything so it's it's easy to understand why airlines are struggling at the moment and I guess part of the the poor investor sentiment on it is because there's so much uncertainty still about, um, firstly, when governments will allow airlines to, to get moving again and, and allow people to take holidays, um, but then also how much people will actually want to get on a plane after all of this and how long a period there might be where people are a bit reticent to do that and might prefer to either stay at home or to a holiday in the UK rather than getting on a plane. So I guess is a lot of the negative sentiment the fact that there's just so much uncertainty and so many unknowns? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're operating an airline and you're told you can't refly anywhere, you've got most of your fleet is grounded. So you're not, you're not really uh, bringing in any much revenue apart from perhaps you know people are still confident to book far in advance for stuff but you've got massive costs to to deal with um so i think you know, people investors are concerned that you know, there could be a situation where these airlines are just running out of money um which is you know it's a ho- horrible thought that we could lose um potentially lose some you know, very well-known businesses very strong brands but um this is the reality now as we're recording this, the, the travel company TUI has just put out its results and it's talking about um, this is the greatest crisis that the company's seen and also the travel industry is, is ever faced. Um, I mean, that, that's sort of shocking stuff. Um, but interesting, Ryanair is talking about reintroducing 40% of its flights from the 1st of July. So, you know, very, I saw very, that they were yeah. saying they wanted to give people a chance to have a summer holiday this year, which I thought made it sound very benevolent. But I imagine a large part of the motivation is because they want to make some money and, and get some flights going again and getting some money coming in again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, yeah, you know, if if we can, if we're feeling that we've got government advice saying it's, it, you know, um, sort of the, the, the virus threat is, is is greatly reduced, then I could see why people might want to do it. But I think they are being quite optimistic. Um, but I, I have been seeing lots of photos of planes that are absolutely full of people. And we're not even the, the, the talk that you're not allowed to have anyone sitting in the middle row. The whole plane was full. Um, and I think this is sort of raised some questions about saying, well, you know, what, what's going on? I thought all, all these planes weren't running. Um, and I think it's down to the you know, airlines have slashed their schedules. So perhaps what would have been, say, four flights a day to somewhere, they're now only doing one. So 
everyone who, who does need to travel and it might be it might be medical professionals um, or people perhaps going to, to travel to see their family that who need need help looking after um, yeah, everyone's sort of squashing onto one plane so it's, it's not really sending a, a sort of a good message if everyone's concerned about social distancing um yeah presumably once flights do start up again whenever that is airlines are going to have to adapt some of their stuff to make it safer for people to fly surely i mean there's differing views on this isn't there ryanair said it's pointless leaving the middle seat empty where others are saying that could actually help yeah i mean i was reading something about a suggestion you need to download an app um and you've got to sort of tap a button if you want to go to the toilet and there's like a virtual queue <laughs> um oh, wow. you know because they, they don't want people sort of standing in the middle of the aisle but you, you do have to think that a lot of these airlines they make quite a lot of their money not from ticket sales but from all those extra things like all, all the baggage fees um and selling you food on the flight but i, I don't I, you know if, we, if we're meant to be social distancing and the idea of um someone who works for the airline is going up and down saying would you like a cup of tea and stuff I, I, I don't know that we're going to get that can you what do you reckon Laura do you think it's totally yeah, changed I can't really see that and and then I think if you've got that level of restrictions in place where you are trying to avoid as much contact as possible I think that would just put so many people off flying full stop because they would just think it's a risk not worth taking yeah I mean if you think about the the, the process for getting on a plane so you arrive at the airport um now going through security i would imagine will take longer if you have to have your temperature taken um there'd be social distancing in the queue so then we're all not going to sit in a gate together uh, waiting to get on a plane how how are we going to sort of spread ourselves apart a bit um you know obviously once you're on the plane we're all breathing the same air so i don't i'm quite sure what what they think they're going to be going on there i mean th- there was some argument that that the filters used in on, on inside airplanes for the air quality is um actually not bad it does it does sort of give you and it gives you sort of bursts of fresh air quite a lot um there's another factor that pilots have to do three takeoffs and landings um in the past 90 days otherwise they've got to go back to simulator and, and sort of do training so if we have a very oh, long that's period so interesting i yeah. didn't know that yeah so if we have a period where um obviously there's no flights um and suddenly they're saying okay we're, we're restarting again um you know we're, are we going to have a shortage of pilots because they're all still going through their sort of simulation uh, training ticking boxes again it's quite... and no one wants an out of practice pilot flying their flight do they no <laughs> no so i think it's hard i mean i think what will happen is if if planes do uh go down the route of saying okay no one in the middle seat well they're going to have to put the fares up to make up for um this sort of lost revenue so i, I think it's going to be very expensive i was actually talking to one of our colleagues this morning um and she was saying she tried to rebook her holiday uh, I think it was somewhere in, in Spain or something like that at the same time next summer. And the increase in the ticket price was astronomical. Um, so whether it, it, it's I, I can't believe the sudden rush for um, August 2021 holidays at the moment. But it, it's it, it's whether the airlines are sort of saying, well, we, you know, if people are going to be just switching for to go travel a year later, let's see how much money we can get from them as possible. Um, got to claw back all this lost revenue somewhere. 
I guess the positive upside to this, certainly not for the airline sector, but elsewhere, is that I think we will genuinely see lots more people either doing driving holidays, so for us driving to France or, or somewhere close by, or staying in the UK and giving a real boost to UK businesses and UK towns and cities. So that's an upside. I think so, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it, it's definitely the, the staycation argument will be very strong, but it's whether actually this year even we're not even going to be do be able to do that because you know, the idea that we you know it's saying two three months time it's all all back to normal i'm not so sure um that's really going to be happening but um but it, it, it's it's it, you can understand for airlines they are someone like ryanair is trying to be as optimistic as possible um so they kind of say we're, we're trying to get restart things and whiz air again is 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 talking about flying more um planes to different locations now so if you're an investor you might say well this sector has been incredibly sold down so much money has been wiped off the value so if these earnings can recover over uh, quite quickly over the next year theoretically there should be a very very large rebound in the share price so um, I can see why people are interested in the sector, but um, it, it is so high risk. Who knows if those earnings are going to bounce back? Um, and also, we've got to get through this very difficult period where have airlines got enough money to tie them over until we see you know, income start to, to pick up again? So it's a, it's, a, it's a muddy patch they've got to get through. Um, and you know, anyone looking at this sector from investment perspective must, must consider there are some significant risks to um, if you wanted to put your money in this area. And so many unknowns as well. That's probably it as well. You're weighing up risks that you know, but also so many other things that you don't know about whether the, the airline could go bust or when flights will start or how much they'll cost or so many things that no one knows at this point. Probably not even yeah. the executives at the airlines. No, no, not really. So, I mean, I guess it, it, it's so while, while we're on the topic of airlines, um, so lots of people are actually sort of trying to claim refunds for this year's holidays. So uh, we've covered a bit of this in the podcast back in March, but the situation's kind of changed a bit. So, Laura, is there any chance of getting your money back or is it simply people just have to um, reshift their booking for a year's time? It's so difficult because what you have here is a case of what the law and the regulations say and then what airlines and holiday companies are actually doing. So the law says that you're entitled to a full refund if your flight is cancelled, for example, or your holiday is cancelled. Um and if your flight is departing from anywhere within the EU and, and it's cancelled, then you should get a full refund. However, airlines and holiday companies at this stage, are some of them are just flat out saying no, that they won't provide that. Um, and all of them are trying to push you to take a voucher. Um, so you take kind of a credit note for the value of your holiday or flight. Um, or they're trying to push you to rebook for some time in the future. So it's a really difficult area, but I think the main takeaway from this is that you shouldn't accept a voucher if you don't want one. You should push for a refund and you shouldn't take no for an answer. So you are due a refund by law um, and you can keep pushing the airline or the holiday company on this. And because I think the case is once you've accepted a voucher, then you'll be 
on their system as dealt with, done, you've got that voucher. Um, whereas if you hold out and you try and cl claim for a cash refund, um, then you're much more likely to have success. So I actually had this myself. So um, I was meant to be going away last week, last weekend, um, flying with Virgin, um, and they offered me a voucher initially. Now I had to call up and I did have to wait on hold for about two hours um, to get through to them, which is one of the other big issues. Lots of airlines are making people phone up to process a cash refund um, where they're allowing people online to process the vouchers so they're basically putting obstacles in the way for you to be able to get your refund um, and then because of that there's just so many people calling and they're so short-staffed that it takes ages to get through but after waiting for two hours on hold um, I managed to get through and they will give me a refund and this is what lots of people are finding that if you push for it and you fight for it you can get a refund but the next hurdle is that they are taking months, and I mean months, some are saying it'll be up to a year before you actually get your refund back. Oh, God. I mean, I, I, I had it with Ryanair that added the email saying, what do you want, a cash refund or a voucher? So I, I said cash refund and they go, well, we'll be in touch really soon. Um, but rather, you know, rather than sort of saying, OK, we're now processing it, they're saying, OK, we really do want you to take a voucher and... And even if you take a voucher and don't use it within 12 months, you can then get a cash refund after that period. But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting sitting tight. I'm just seeing what if I don't do anything. I've already I've already requested this cash refund. Let's see what happens next. So, um. yeah. And I think that's the best port of call is to not just accept a voucher to hold out for a cash refund. Um and to put in writing that you want a cash refund so that that claim is logged there um, and then wait it out for a bit there are other options if um if you don't see success there so some people are going to their card providers so if you've booked through um, a credit card or a debit card um, there's slightly different rules depending on whether you book with a credit card or a debit card on the amount that you have to have spent and um, but there's lots of information available online but essentially you can make a claim with your card provider to say I paid for something that wasn't provided which would be very obvious in this case you've paid for a flight that was then cancelled and you couldn't travel on um, and they will then should then refund you um, and then claim that money back from the airline themselves. It's a route that you can go down. Not that many people have had success with it so far because I think car providers see that if they start handing out these refunds, then it opens the floodgates for them to then because they will then bear the cost of that until they can claim it back from the airlines. But it's so definitely the, another option that people yeah, have. Is it is it that that's the chargeback route is it for yeah yeah, yeah. i did see somewhere saying that um that banks recently have sort of being a bit stricter on it and and one of the bank was saying if actually there's a kind of a new rule that if, if a merchant cancels the goods or services due to a go government prohibition then then you can't submit a chargeback claim so um it's really banks. frustrating for consumers because everyone's kind of trying to wriggle out of their responsibilities left and right. And I guess if you pay devil's advocate and you look at it from the other side, why should car providers pay? Airlines should be stumping up. But also lots of airlines, if they paid every single one of these refunds, um, would then face going under because they just don't have the, the cash flow coming in to be able to pay these refunds going out. So that's one of the suggestions of why it's going to take so long to get refunds 
for um, for your flights if you hold out for a cash refund is because some airlines are effectively waiting until they've got some money coming in from people booking flights at that point um, to be able to pay the refunds for people going out. Other airlines are just saying that it just takes that long to process refunds. But however many refunds you've got, I can't believe that it takes six or nine months to process that refund. Yeah. Well, there's also something else called Section 75 as well. It is... Yeah. So that's to do with the debit card claim back. The credit card, credit cards. Yeah. I think this one. Yeah. So this is this is credit card purchases over a hundred pounds. Where so your flights would have to be at least a hundred pounds each, um, rather than sort of a combined transaction for say for your family, um, where the credit card company can sort of is equally liable if something goes wrong. Um, mm. But I think and for some people accepting a voucher might be fine. They might know that they're going to go away next year and they're and they're likely to travel with that airline and. They might think that that's okay to take and and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I think the caution that I would have is um, partly some people have been experiencing what you were talking about earlier where flight prices have gone up massively when they try to rebook. Um, You've also got to think that if you're flying next year, it stops your ability to be able to shop around. So if you accept a voucher from Ryanair, for example, um, then that means that you're committed to booking your holiday with Ryanair, regardless of what the prices are. Um, And then the other big uncertainty is if that airline fails, which we were just talking about, we don't know which ones might fail, if any. Um, But if that airline fails and you've got a voucher with them, then you're not going to get your money back. Yeah. Well, on... on on refunds that it might be worth pointing out I, I have heard some positive news from people who've used paypal to buy their holidays and flights um, you can go via their resolution center and there's stories of people getting money back that way fairly easily um, uh, and also there's a few few companies like premier in apparently is being quite good at um, giving you money back if you'd booked a hotel for a, say a, a short breakaway as well so um there are there are good examples of people who are you know companies that are being helpful so it's it's it so don't don't get too frustrated because um it's not a blanket case of everyone is being sort of evil and, and yeah and airbnb that. are good as well they've waived cancellation fees and lots of people have got full refunds with them where they haven't been able to travel um and then other areas there's just really differing differing experiences so things like if you're if you're booked to go away to like UK holiday cottages, for example. So if you're going to stay in the UK this summer, um, some companies are being really good and refunding you to reflect the fact that you can't possibly travel at the moment based on government advice. Um, Others are refusing to issue a refund um, and some are giving you kind of vouchers or credit notes for future. Some aren't even doing that. So it's a real mixed bag. But I would say um, one good place to go is which has a really good guide Um, And it kind of breaks it down and you can find um, the relevant information based on um, the type of holiday you've booked or the type of travel thing you've booked. Um, And money saving experts also have been doing quite a lot around this and around different ways that you can claim and and has more of the details on how you can claim using your credit and debit card as well. It's it's really annoying because over the last couple of nights I've been watching um, the Travel Man show that's on Channel 4. That's like, um, surely that's like torture if you can't go away at the moment watching travel programs. I know my daughter loves loves watching it, and, she, and we we sort of watched one, and then 
of course you get down this rabbit hole and starting watching more and I, and I was watching one yesterday it was um it was on Helsinki and I kept and I thought oh this is this is amazing I, I would I just really want to go yeah so it makes you it, it just really you really realize that after um you know years of being spoilt with um you know the opportunity to go away and you know if you're able to afford it um having you know various things sort of just taken away from you how how your life completely changes isn't it so let's let's hope it goes back to normal soon and i think maybe we'll all be more appreciative of those holidays and breaks when they do come back maybe yeah <laughs> at least for six months and then we'll forget all about this yeah <laughs> So at the moment, lots of people might be wondering whether their personal insurance, so health insurance or life insurance, will pay out at the moment as well. Um, but also whether it's a monthly cost that they can cut if money is tight at the moment, which lots of people are experiencing. Um, so I spoke to Kay Ingram from advice firm LEBC about this earlier this week. So we've heard a lot about insurance during the current um, coronavirus crisis, but predominantly things like travel insurance. But what about some of the personal insurances that people might have taken out, so um, life insurance or even health insurance? Will will those policies pay out um, if someone does get COVID-19? Yes, if if someone's got an existing life insurance, critical illness policy or health insurance policy, there are no exclusions for COVID-19. So they will be covered and the policy will pay out, providing all the other conditions of the policy are met. Uh, life assurance um, tends to be something that the underwriters ask lots of questions when you're taking out the policy, which sometimes people find a bit irritating. Uh, they may also ask you to go for a medical and they may also ask for a report from your GP or ask you to have an online conversation with a, a nurse um, who will uh, ask for me de- details of your medical history. Um, but once you've been accepted by an insurance company for life or health insurance, then uh, the payment of the claim is usually straightforward. It's very unusual for there to be any dispute. The only area would be if you'd not disclosed something on your proposal form um, when applying, which became a material fact in influencing the claim. So for people who've got existing policies, they, they can rest assured that those will pay out um, and there's no issue with um, COVID-19. It's a different case, though, for people who are now applying for life assurance. Uh, underwriters are asking questions about um, exposure to the virus. So if you're currently experiencing symptoms or you've um, been told to self-isolate due to uh, symptoms, if you've been tested positive or you've been advised to self-isolate because you've been in contact with someone who is either suspected of having COVID-19 or has been tested positive for it, then insurers generally are imposing a three-month deferral. So they won't look at your application. They'll want you to um, come back in three months when they'll look at it again. So they won't even accept you for it? It's not that they make an exclusion for cover for... No, there's no exclusion. life, Life underwriters tend not to go for exclusions because they prefer, as I say, they prefer to um, screen out people at the outset and not take their premiums and then say, right, we're not going to pay up. They prefer to actually um, deal with all that medical stuff at the beginning of the process when you apply. And once you've got the policy in force, then normally um, payments of claims are fairly swift and it's unusual for there to be any dispute. Um, But if you haven't already got cover or you want to top your cover up, then if you fall into those categories of either having tested positive or 
self-isolation because someone in your household is uh, positive or has symptoms or you have symptoms, then you may not be able to get cover immediately. You may have to wait uh, for up to three months before the underwriters will consider your application. Um, uh, and what about um, at the moment people are, are trying to, lots of people have seen their incomes hit um, and they're trying to save money where they can on their outgoings. Um, and one obvious one for people might be cancelling some of these policies that they're paying monthly for, and they might see that as kind of an e easy saving. Um, so are there any other options for these people or is there any kind of words of caution for people that might be cancelling? Absolutely, there are. there are loads of other options. And we would strongly advise someone not to cancel their policies unless they feel they have no need for them. Often life policies are there to support mortgage debt or other debts. Uh, they're there to provide an income for dependents and uh, we would advise someone not to cancel their policy but to talk to their provider or their financial advisor about some of the other options. Um, for example, um, many policies include um, a waiver of premium uh, clause which says that if you're off sick or you've been made redundant and you're unemployed then the premiums will be paid for you uh, either until you, until you get back to work. And if someone is in this situation where they've lost their job or they're on much reduced furlough pay and they're worried about losing their job, then we would uh, ask them to have a look at the policy and see if they have that benefit, because it may be that they already qualify for the insurance company to waive the premiums until they're back in work or uh, are well again. Um, other policies have what's called a career break clause. And the way that works is that you can suspend or reduce your cover for a given period. Um, and usually the reasons for that are that you are taking a career break, either to retrain and go into a new occupation, or to start a family, or to study, or to travel. Uh, again, individuals need to look at their policy wording to see if they have that benefit there. And what this allows you to do is to reduce the cover, or stop the cover, um, and the premiums for a given period. And the, the terms and conditions vary from one provider to another. It's usually for a fixed period. And then you can start again after that with the cover reinstated without having to provide fresh medical evidence and on the same terms that you uh, had before. So that's quite useful for people who are taking a career break. However, if you suspend or reduce your cover, then clearly you will not have the same amount of protection in place. And you need to think carefully about uh, whether you actually still need that or not. It would be a disaster for someone to cancel their cover and then find that their mortgage hasn't been paid off on their death. Um, and generally speaking, the cost of life cover in the UK is very cost effective. So are there any other things that people should be thinking about if they're facing kind of furlough or if they're maybe um, seeing some changes with their employment? But there are other ways in which uh, people can save money. For example, if you were a smoker when you took out the policy, but you've since given up, you may be able to get quite a significant discount on the premium anyway. Uh, for example, for a 45-year-old, we're looking at something like a 43% difference between a smoker's premium and a non-smoker's premium. So if you've given up smoking... No, that's a massive difference. It's massive, yeah. Obviously, with age, it goes up even more for older people. It's a little bit less for, for those under 45. But if you're fit and healthy... Um, and you've got no other medical issues, but you have changed your smoker status, and generally that's a 12-month period of having given up continuously for most insurers, then it's worth having a look to see if your existing insurer will give you that reduction. Some will, some won't. Uh, or also shopping around the market. 
because there's quite a big difference in the premiums charged between the, the, the most competitive premium and the most expensive. Um, and shopping around for this sort of thing every so often and really considering what you actually need to have covered um, because your needs may have changed and you might have paid off your mortgage, you don't need that cover anymore. Or alternatively, you might have increased your mortgage or started a family, in which case you might need more cover. So reviewing that from time to time is a good idea. A lot of people will also have cover through their work in an employer's um, pension or death and service scheme. Now, obviously, if you're going to lose your job uh, because of redundancy um, or if you're on short time working, you may find that that cover is either reduced or stopped. And so it's important to talk to your employer about how um, that works and how much cover you've got. And also updating your nomination forms, because with that type of employer sponsored cover, the trustees of the scheme, which is normally the sponsoring employer, uh, will decide who, who gets the payout if you were to die. Uh, and it's important that you've got your nominations up to date so that you don't end up uh, giving that money away to someone you no longer wish to benefit. Um, so having time away from work now does give people the time, which is often, as you said earlier, an obstacle to dealing with these life admin issues. It is a good time to actually look at all these things and review your arrangements and see if you can save money and also make sure that the people you want to get your uh, the benefit of your insurance or other ben other pension schemes, etc., cetera, uh, is actually the person named on the nomination form. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. That was really helpful. So finally, I caught up with an expert from Asset Management Group Resonance to talk about their involvement with impact investing and helping society. Um, let's take a listen to that interview now. So today we're with Simon Chisholm, who is the Chief Investment Officer for investment company Resonance. So there's quite a bit of interest in ESG and impact investing, and people are still finding their way around the different investment options. Could you, Simon, could you just sort of explain what Resonance does and how you sort of fit into the impact investing equation? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, Resonance is a social impact investment company. Um, we've been now operating in the UK for over 18 years. Uh, and essentially, we are seeking to connect investment with social enterprise across the UK. Um, we do that now primarily uh, by being an FCA authorised fund manager. And we design and run impact investment funds that allow investors to invest into different forms of social enterprise uh, across the UK, generating financial return, but importantly, also a really intentional impact on, on a number of social problems that those social, social enterprises are addressing. Okay, well, how, how do you sort of residents decide which sort of projects to pick? Sure. So, so for our particular approach to impact investment, we are focusing, as I mentioned, on social enterprises. So we are looking for organisations that are intentionally seeking to address uh, a social problem. It might be homelessness, it might be uh, uh, the needs of people with learning disability, vulnerable women. There are a huge number of uh, social issues these organisations are seeking to address. But it, crucially, to be a social enterprise, they need to have a, a revenue stream and a business model that is supporting the way that they deliver that. So we look firstly for that intentionality around so solving a social problem, then for a strong business model. And then thirdly, of course, for uh, a management team that we think can deliver on, on those things. 
So can, can you still give me an example of some projects that you've backed? Of course. Um, so we've uh, invested through various of our funds now in, in social enterprises all around the UK. I guess three examples of that, just to give a flavour. Um, one would be a community interest company called Bristol 24-7. Uh, who are a, a media business operating in Bristol and the surrounding area, um, bringing kind of uh, an online uh, publication to the market, um, which people can use to inform themselves about what's happening in, in their community and their area. Um, they're a viable media business through the usual means of, of advertising and subscriptions, um, but they also really intentionally seek to provide um, a, a number of social impacts. One is um, opportunities for young people to get into media and journalism who would obviously uh, perhaps not normally have that opportunity, um, giving a voice to marginalised communities in, in, in the region who wouldn't normally get covered by the media. So a really interesting social enterprise with, with a, a strong kind of media business behind it. Um, I guess another, you know, to show the diversity, another example is a social enterprise we've invested in called SoFab Sports. Um, they work really with uh, young people with physical and learning disabilities to give them access to sports. But they do that um, in, in a number of ways, including running uh, a really excellent um, retail outlet for high quality end of line branded sportswear. Uh, they do that through a physical shop in, in Gloucestershire and also an online retail offer that they have for that. Um, and that allows them to give employment and training opportunities to those um, young people. Uh, but also it's a it's a really robust and uh, and sustainable business that they have. So the third example was um, a social enterprise we've invested in called Challenge Academy. Um, they're based in the West Midlands. They run uh, an adventure high ropes um, facility there which uh, obviously is open to the general public and is used by the general public, but as a community interest company, they are particularly focused on allowing access to that for vulnerable groups. So that could be uh, young people excluded from mainstream education, uh, people on back to work programs, youth offenders, um, and really through the use of that, um, that business, they can ensure that those groups get access to something which can sometimes be transformational for people's self-esteem and um, self-belief. So some of these initiatives, they sound like um, perhaps ones you'd associate with not-for-profit companies. Are they, do, do they actually make money or, or they, they're not designed to make a profit? They're designed to just cover their costs? They're, they're designed to make a profit. And uh, as community interest companies, they are committed to reinvesting the majority of that profit back into what they do. So I think in, in each of those examples I've given, you can see that they have um, a, a viable business model, uh, whether that's as a, a media company with, uh, with online advertising revenues or a, a sports retailer um, who can retail both physically and online. Um, or in the case of Challenge Academy, um, through offering that that um, high ropes asset out to the general public, um, you know, as a as a paid uh, facility. Um, but in all cases, they are focusing the way that they run their business on solving some really deep and important kind of social problems um, that that are the passion and, and focus of their social enterprise. So, how, how do you 
as his residents make money from these investments then is it through because you're arranging to get finance for them is it that that's how you make your money or in, in all of the examples we've discussed, um, Resonance has invested into those social enterprises through our social investment tax relief, SITR funds. Um, those are very similar to um, enterprise investment scheme funds, which many of your listeners will be familiar with. Um, SITR really allows us to make those investments uh, so that the investors get the tax relief, um, similar to EIS as a 30% income tax relief when that investment is made. So we are able through those funds to invest into a broad portfolio of social enterprises for our investors um, and they will receive interest on the on the loans that are made to those social enterprises, but also the tax relief. Um, very similar to EIS, in fact. And so what in, in terms of um, opportunities, do you find that you're are you turning down more um, things that you come across than than sort of backing or um, just trying to understand the, the scale of the opportunity here. Sure, um, we we do turn down some things obviously usually because they don't fit one of those three criteria that I mentioned. So if they're not an intentionally, um, if they're not intentionally going after a social in, uh, issue with the way that they run their enterprise, then um, you know we're not going to be as interested in investing. So a business that just simply commits to give away a percentage of its profits to a good cause. That's great, and and we laud that, but it's not actually the um, the kind of social enterprise that we're seeking to to back. Um, I guess you know if they have a, a really unproven business model, again, um, you know there are ways in which uh, you know ideas can get some startup um, risk capital. We're not focusing so much on that. We're focusing on scaling up things that have shown that they have a, a degree of sustainability, but they really need to kind of grow the impact of what they're doing. Um, and then obviously with management teams, we're really focused on management teams who can appreciate their own strengths and weaknesses and, and take on external help. Um, you know, uh, we can provide a lot more than just the investment as resonance. We can connect them to all sorts of other resources. Uh, but we really want to work with enterprises who are receptive to, to the opportunities that brings. Well, great. Simon, thank you ever so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been really fascinating to hear your story. So thank you ever so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot for listening this week. Do send any questions that you have for us or suggestions of who you'd like us to interview to podcast at ajbell.co.uk. And remember, you can listen to us wherever you are using Spotify, the iPhone podcast app or Podbean and just search for Money and Markets. And we'll see you next week. See ya. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.